0: Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone from around the world in the United States. My name is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. This program is for those who truly thirst and starve for the Word of God and want to follow the Word of God's example. The Word of God is defined in the Bible As the Messiah. Let's turn to Revelation. Uh, Scripture just popped in my mind about the Word of God. If you want a simple definition of who the Word of God is, let's turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 describes the Word of God coming to the earth to rule all of mankind. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. So when Jesus, and his Hebrew name is Yeshua or Yahshua, when he comes back, he's going to come back as a lamb, folk. He is not going to come back as a lamb. So you need to start thinking of your Savior as a mighty judge and warrior because that's the way he's going to come back the second time. So anyway, again, in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 19, And I saw heaven open, yes, the heaven where God dwells. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, righteousness means in Psalm 119, verse 172, keeping the commandments, he does judge and make war. In verse 12 of Revelation chapter 19, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns of diadems. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, And his name is called the Word of God. The Messiah is the Word of God, ladies and gentlemen. Let's understand that. Today we're going to talk about how world peace will come. That should be a concern with any reasonable human being on this earth. At least I would think so. Because we do not have peace, ladies and gentlemen. And the Bible explains to us the reason why we don't have peace. Let's turn to psalm one nineteen psalm one nineteen psalm one nineteen beginning in one verse one sixty five to find out why we don't have peace, ladies and gentlemen and your king james <clears throat> psalm one nineteen verse one sixty five great peace what does peace mean in Hebrew it means shalom. And it means to be happy, friendly, welfare. All your needs are taken care of. You don't have issues. You don't have to worry about uh, locking up your car door or your your car um, or the doors in your car. You don't have to worry about locking up your home because you're at peace. Your security is assured. You don't have to worry about people coming in and robbing and stealing you. Uh, things that you have we don't have that kind of peace great peace have they which love thy Torah and the word law in the King James should be translated Torah it means the Decalogue the Pentateuch or to simplify it means the instructions teachings and doctrines of God And it says right here, great peace have they, but this can be accomplished with you or with me or anyone if you just do teshuva, repent of all your sins and become immersed, baptized, and the Holy Spirit will be put inside of you. And then you'll be able to start keeping the commandments and you'll start to change. And as I talked about last week, during my Bible study about Yom Kippur, the memory of those sins will go. They will be destroyed. They will be wiped away from your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hold your place here. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. To understand what the Holy Spirit will do to you once you receive it and it's put in you. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness. That's what Yom Kippur represents. And from all your idols will I cleanse you. That word cleanse in the original Hebrew is to hire and it means to be pure unadulterated uncontaminated. Only through the Holy Spirit can that happen. Verse 26, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you, the word cause in original Hebrew is asha, to make. To give you the ability to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. So that's what the, that's a simple definition of what the Holy Spirit can do and will do. If you don't resist the Holy Spirit as our ancient Israelites, uh Israelite ancestors did. Because you can't receive it unless you obey Him. Acts 5 verse 32 tells you that. So anyway, let's go back to Psalm 119. Verse 165. It says, Great peace. And great means rob in Hebrew. Abundant peace have they which love thy Torah. And love in Hebrew means ahab. It means to have affection for. To have affection for. And it even mentions sexual affection. <laughs> so we should love the Torah like we... Love sex. That's what this this Hebrew word is indicating. And if we love the Torah like that, God promises that you have great peace within yourself, within where you live at, in this earth, in this wicked world. And it says right here, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. And that word offend in Hebrew means mishkol. Mixture, stumbling block, uh, an obstacle, enticement, cause to fall. Nothing shall cause you to fall, or or, or you won't be in a ruin. And then in verse one sixty six it says, "Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation. I have hoped for thy salvation." And salvation in Hebrew means Yeshua, <laughs> our Lord's name. So you have to hope for Yeshua, because he is salvation. And done thy commandments. That's how you hope for the Messiah. That's how you love the Messiah. By doing the commandments. By doing the commandments, ladies and gentlemen. And hope means to wait, to tarry. And how do you really wait for our Messiah? By doing the commandments. I just wanted to break that down in an easy way or in a way that you understand it so that you understand the great lie, the lie, that you don't have to keep the commandments. That's what is talked about, about the anti-Messiah, that they will believe the lie. One of the great lies of all time is that you don't have to keep the commandments because the anti does not want to keep the commandments. And so he's going to teach everyone around the world to do the same. That is the lie, that you don't have to keep the commandments. Anyway, Leviticus. Oh, before I get into Leviticus, <laughs> let's, uh, I have to keep you up to date with what's going on in the world. That's one of my responsibilities. So, let's um, go to Koenig.com website www.watch.org it seems that you know god is merciful and like i said uh, it looks like things are are heating up and it looks like damascus or syria could be attacked eventually It, it it appears that isaiah chapter 17 also is talking about an event that could happen in the future uh, that would cause Damascus to be dis- destroyed again because it was destroyed two times and the uh, it was rebuilt during the first century and has been a city ever since. And then that, that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 17 states that it will no longer be a city. And then when you read the chapter, it, it talks about uh, the Messiah coming back. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 17, based on this one scripture. In verse 7, it says, At that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. And he shall not look to the altars, the work of his hands, neither shall he respect that which his fingers have made, either the groves or the images. Okay, so obviously there's going to be some kind of repentance in reference to this. And of course that would lead also worldwide to uh, to the return of the Messiah. But anyway... Uh, watch.org, World Watch, Daily Koenig, International News. The headline here says, Securing Syria's weapons may require U.S. troops. Uh, the White House and the Pentagon has repeatedly ruled out boots on the ground in Syria, but Defense Department officials were less certain Thursday on whether U.S. military personnel might be sent to help secure or destroy Syria's chemical weapons. Here we go. Pentagon Press Secretary George Little gave a vague answer when asked if U.S. troops were prepared to assist should an international agreement allow Russia to take control of the tons of chemical weapons believed to be in the stockpiles of President Bashar al-Assad. I quote, I'm not going to speculate on who may or may not be participating in a process that may or may not take place, end of quote, Little said. Quote, we've got to see where the process goes, end of quote, before the U.S. military considers involvement, he said. Then another headline, Kerry looks to reassure anxious Israel over U.S. resolve on Syria-Iran. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry arrives in Israel for a one-day visit. Kerry is expected to brief Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on the U.S. deal reached with Russia that will see Syria dismantle its chemical weapons stockpile. The Obama administration is eager to, uh, for his, his eager to speak to Israel about the concerns and to reassure Jerusalem that the agreement with Russia was not tantamount to uh, a capitulation to Moscow and his ally Bashar al-Assad. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry, who arrived in Israel on Sunday to meet Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, would likely tell his Israeli uh, counterparts that the U.S. will see to it that the agreement with Russia is fully implemented. If not, Washington assures the Israelis that the military option remains on the table. Capitulation. That's what it is. I'll tell you some words I just don't use often. Capitulation. All right, so L- Lieberman urges caution after deal on Syria chemical arms. So it's a lot of News being circulated right now about Syria, so we need to to pay attention to that, pay a, a real serious attention to that, and uh, don't be alarmed and, and and realize that Yeshua stated that these things would happen. Oh, let's talk about what's what's going on with Colorado here. Uh, this is uh, significant. A Boulder, Colorado, connection. Boulder, Colorado, to pass nature's rights law, giving flowers a right to life. And then we have all this 100-year this flood situation. Boulder, rainfall records swamped and dueling weather systems. National Weather Service termed biblical rainfall amounts. So um, that's in Boulder, Colorado, massive flash flooding along Colorado's uh, Front Range Mountains triggered by what the National Weather Service termed biblical rainfall amounts. This is what they stated, so let's talk about it since it has something to do with the Bible. Killed at least three people, unfortunately. Thursday, cut off small towns and forced countless residents to scramble for high ground. Boulder, home to the University of Colorado, was among the hardest hit by the devastating waters. Classes were canceled. Hundreds of students evacuated and a quarter of the campus buildings damaged by Rising water authority said. Boulder's daily camera, September 4th, Boulder having a hard time getting rain out of the storms, reached 3.3 inches of rain in 36 storms. This is sad. Uh, it says in the 1990s, Boulder was frequently the wettest spot in the state, so much so that the state uh, dubbed the weather pattern the Boulder's Bull's Eye. Now it seems that Boulder can't get enough rain to keep up with normal um, evaporation. All we get are thunder, lightning, wind, and spattering rains. May, From May 9th through the end of August, Boulder received 3.3 inches of rain and 36 storms. Normally that span of time produces 8.3 inches. And so again, I, I've talked about this constantly, that the Lord, he does uh, talk through the weather. Let's turn to the prophet Nahum. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3 actually verse 2 God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. the Lord reigneth revengeth, and is furious and the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies verse 3 the Lord is slow to anger yes he's merciful but (laughs) you keep on sinning he's going to uh, release that mercy and great in power and will not at all quit the wicked so the wicked will be punished the Lord has his way in the whirlwind, or storms, hurricanes, tempests. And in the storm, storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and maketh it dry and dries up all the rivers. All right, so he causes all these things. He, he causes weather disturbances to get your attention. And if they are lobbying... <laughs> If they are lobbying for giving flowers a right to life, let me see. Let's take a look at what this is all about here. Boulder, Colorado, to pass nature's rights law, giving flowers a right to life. Anti human radical environmentalism continues to advance with no push back in sight. Boulder, Colorado, appears on the verge of passing a nature's rights law, which gives the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees a right to the equal of our own natural wonder. So anyway, they're, they're, they're putting animals and plants on the same level of human beings. That's that's totally not right, ladies and gentlemen. And if they're doing it, I can see why God is is trying to wake Bodo Colorado up to reality. So again, we have an active God. Uh, the God that we have sees what we do. And when he doesn't like certain things, he... He punishes, ladies and gentlemen, and he uses the weather as one of the ways that he punishes. So we have to understand that, and we must realize that we have a great God that's not going to tolerate or put up with wickedness, ladies and gentlemen. He's not going to put up with that, and he's going to do all he can, all he can to get our attention when we uh, do wickedness that comes up to his throne and then people they expect for him not to recognize that so i have an article that i suggest you read on my website it's called god and hurricanes god and hurricanes on the merciful service of god website it's www.mercifulserviceofgod.com by the way um i encourage you to go to my Facebook page uh, it's www.facebook.com forward slash Kennard K-E-N-N-A-R-D L-E-V-I Brown and and go ahead and uh, link up with me also I have a another Facebook page it's uh, www.blogtalk no that's not blogtalk www.facebook.com forward slash Merciful Servants of God and just like the page I would appreciate that very much if you did so. If if you've been listening to this program for years, I know you can do that. (laughs) I would appreciate it. But anyway, um, this article, God and Hurricanes, is a pretty interesting article, and I I encourage you to read it. And it reveals to you the reason why he allows... um, Weather disturbances? In Job chapter 37, verse 11 and 13, in the contemporary English version of the Bible, rain clouds filled with lightning appear at God's command, traveling across the sky to release their cargo, sometimes as punishment for sin, sometimes as kindness. In Job chapter 37, verse 11 and 13. So, and then in... Uh, Job 36, verse 29 to 32. Can anyone understand the spreading of his clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? Behold, he spreads his lightning about him, and he covers the depths of the sea, for by these he judges peoples. He gives food in abundance, he covers his hands with the lightning, and commands it to strike the mark. Job 36, verse 29 to 32. And then Amos 4, verse 6 to 11. But in all your towns I have kept food from your teeth, and in all your plans, or places rather, there has been need of bread, and still you have not come back to me, says the Lord. And I have kept back the rain from you. When it was still three months before the grain cutting, I sent rain on one town and kept it back from another. One part was rained on, the other part there was no rain because a waste. So two or three towns went wandering to one town looking for water and did not get enough, and still you have not come back to me, says the Lord. I have sent destruction on your fields by burning and disease, the increase of your gardens and your vine gardens. Your fig trees and your olive trees have been food for worms, and still you have not come back to me. I have sent disease among you, as it was in Egypt. I have put young men to be to the sword, and I have taken away your horses. I have made the evil smell from your tents come up from, to your noses, and still you have not come back to me, says the Lord. And I have sent destruction among you, as when God sent destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a burning stick pulled out of the fire, and still you have not come back to me. So this... This passage of scripture describes the the tremendous the tremendous stubbornness of our people, and it's going to take a lot of weather disturbances, destruction, for us to finally repent. The Bible clearly indicates that, ladies and gentlemen, we we just think our way is the better way, and and God states that that it is not. Isaiah fifty nine, starting in verse one: Behold, the Lord's hand is shortened, that it cannot save. It is not short, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, sin, what is sin? 1st John 3, verse 4, the transgression of Torah, and instructions and doctrines, laws of God. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So if you don't want God to answer your prayers, just continue to disobey him. And he won't hear it. And let's understand something, Isaiah 45, verse 7. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light, and I create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. If there is calamity in a city like Boulder, Colorado, would not the Lord have done it? So the Lord has done this, ladies and gentlemen, to get your attention. To get your attention. Those that are in that area that are trying to lobby for plants and animals to have the same status as human beings... That's ridiculous. That's totally ridiculous. You need to repent of that. So anyway, just wanted to explain you the reason why that's going on in Colorado. You know, God wouldn't cause anything like that to happen unless there's some great sin in that area. And Corny, he's, he's pretty good at uh, connecting things like that. I appreciate what he does. Okay. So, uh let's look at some more domestic news here if I can find it. Let's go to the economic. The financial collapse, economic financial collapse blog. collapse blog. And it's uh theeconomiccollapseblog.com. Just see if there's any uh, interesting headlines on his website. It's theeconomiccollapseblog.com. If you buy your PC, you could uh, go with me if you want. Said they denied that we were in a depression. Oh, he has a a, a book that uh, uh, you could get here. It's called the uh, the beginning of the end. And he also has well, he's recommending the preppers cookbook. The preppers are those who are wise and prepare for. Catastrophes as our, our government's uh, emergency uh, department uh, or department on preparing for catastrophes. FEMA states that we should do. But anyway, just uh, plugging his uh, stuff that he has here on the on the website. And he also has a book here, uh, Survival Survival Mom. So anyway. They denied that we were in a depression in 1933 and they are doing it again in 2013, which is interesting. It says the more things change, the more things say the same. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9 states that there's nothing new under the sun. The Great Depression actually started in 1929, but as you will see, as late as 1933, the Associated Press was still pumping out lots of news stories with optimistic economic headlines and many Americans still did not believe that we were actually in a depression. And of course... We are experiencing a very similar thing today. The United States is in the worst financial shape that has been our economy or economic infrastructure or what's within. is being systematically gutted and poverty is absolutely exploding. Since the stock market crash of 2008, the Federal Reserve has been wildly printing money and the federal government has been running trillion-dollar deficits in a desperate attempt to stabilize things. But in the process, They have made our long-term economic problems far worse. It would be hard to overstate how dire our situation is, and yet the mainstream media continues to assure us that everything is just fine and that happy days are here again. No, they're not. And the next headline, Prepare for tough times if your job has anything to do with real estate or mortgages. If you have a job that involves building homes, buying homes, selling homes, or or that is in any way related to the mortgage industry, you might want to start searching for alternative employment. Seriously, interest rates are starting to ra- rise dramatically, and mortgage lenders such as Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and J.P. Morgan Chase are all cutting thousands of mortgage-related jobs. I just heard it from a friend of mine was telling me that uh, they were cutting back on her job. So this only verifies what she said. Last week, mortgage refinance activity plunged to the lowest level that we have seen since June of 2009, and total mortgage activity dropped to the lowest level since October 2008. Unfortunately, this is only the beginning. Mortgage rates closely mirror the yield on 10-year U.S. Treasuries, that the yield on 10-year U.S. Treasuries has nearly doubled since early May, but it is still only sitting at about 3% right now. As I have written about previously, It has a ton of room to go up before it hits normal historical levels, and and so do mortgage rates. As I noted the other day, some analysts believe that the yield on 10-year U.S. Treasuries is going to hit 7% eventually. If that happens, mortgage rates will be more than double what they are today. And we have already seen the average rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage go from 3.35% in May to 4.5%. 7% last week. If interest rates continue to rise, we could be heading for a housing Armageddon that will make the last housing crash look like a Sunday picnic. Okay, so anyway. Oh, here's something I need to read here. It says, deal or no deal, John Kerry's historic diplomatic mistake proves that Obama does not want peace. When it comes to diplomacy, Russia is playing chess, Syria is playing checkers, and U.S. Secretary of State John Perry not John Perry, John Kerry, is playing tiddlywinks. (laughs) On Monday, Kerry said that Syrian President Bashar al-Assad could avoid having his country bound into oblivion by turning over every single bit of his chemical weapons to the international community in the next week. Of course, Kerry just assumed that Assad would never do such a thing, but the Russians immediately pounced on his statement. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei, Lavrov quickly announced that Russia would encourage Syria to turn over their chemical weapons to international control in exchange for a guarantee that the U.S. will not attack. But subsequently, Syrian Foreign Minister Walid al-Maloum stated that his government was prepared for full cooperation, full cooperation rather with Russia to remove any pretext for aggression. Later on Monday, U.N. Secretary General Ban Ki-moon indicated that he is thinking about asking the U.N. Security Council to support such a deal. So, We'll see what happens, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I, I'm just doing the best that I can to to let you know what's going on. We have to watch and pray so that we could uh, escape these things one way or the other. And I'm sure any sane person who want to escape the great tribulation wouldn't wouldn't want to be involved in it, right? So, anyway, uh, that's it with world news today, and we're going to focus on some good news here. Uh, Many Jews around the world will be celebrating the Festival of Tabernacles. What is the Festival of Tabernacles? Well, let's go to some scriptures here. Uh, Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. And this will describe what this festival is. This is I want you to notice something, because many people say these are the Jews' feasts, and not just the Jews' feasts. These are God's feasts. Leviticus chapter twenty three, verse one. The Lord spake unto Moses. Leviticus twenty three verse one. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, concerning the feast. The word feast means mording. That word is also translated meeting and congregation. Um In other places in the Bible, when it's used. Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, holy meetings. These are my feasts, or Moedim. So these are his feasts, and not just the Jewish feasts. Now, Leviticus chapter 23. Let's go down to verse 33. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be a feast, a moedim, of tabernacles. The word tabernacles means sukkah. It means a tent, a booth, a pavilion, for seven days unto the Lord. Verse 35 of Leviticus chapter 23, On the first day there shall be a holy meeting. You shall do no servile work or work for profit, Verse thirty six: Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation. That eighth day is very significant, and I'm going to talk about that next week. Uh, Shall be a holy convocation unto you, and ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly; you shall do no servile work. Verse thirty seven: These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. A burnt offering, a meat offering, a sacrifice, and the drink offerings, everything upon his day. So these feast days were supposed to, um, in verse 38 says, beside the Shabbats of the Lord, which were described in this chapter, and beside your gifts, and beside all your vows, and beside all your freewill offerings as peace offerings, which you give unto the Lord. Verse 39, and in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast unto the Lord seven days. And the first day shall be a Shabbat, and on the eighth day shall also be a Shabbat. Okay, a day of rest. Verse 40, and you shall take you on the first day the uh, booze of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the booze of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in a year, and it shall be a statue forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths or tents. Seven days. This is a commandment that we do so. All that are Israelite born shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. So that's what the booths represent. It represents them being in the wilderness for 42 years and being protected by the great God. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. Let's turn to Nehemiah. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 14, it says, And they found written in the Torah which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths or tents in the Feast of Sukkos, um in the Feast of the Seventh Month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities, and in Jerusalem saying, Go forth into the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went forth and brought and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts, and in the courts of their house and in the street. So the sukkah or tent should be made of the material that that uh Nehemiah is describing here. If you can do it, if not, then if you don't have the capability, don't know how to do it, uh, then it's it's perfectly acceptable just to have a tent because that's what the the Hebrew word means. It means tent as well. So the people went forth and bought them and made themselves booths every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God in the street of the water and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. Okay. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. But since the days of of Joshua the, or Joshua or or, or Joshua, that's uh, actually Jesus' English name, the son of Nun, until that day, had not the children of Israel done so. And that's sad. That is really sad, ladies and gentlemen. Then you had someone that wrote in his wrote his article about. How come we don't see incidences of people assembling on the Shabbat? Well, has he ever considered that uh Yah did state or God stated in his word that just like here and you know, all the holy days are also considered Sabbaths as well because you rest, like like it is on the Sabbath. Have you considered that they didn't obey, that they did not assemble, and that they did not do what they're supposed to do on these days? He talks so much about Israel, and that's the reason why he allowed um, the nation of Israel uh, the, the northern kingdom the ten tribes um, to uh, to be taken into captivity and remember now uh, Israel was one nation and they were separated into, into two parts you had the kingdom of Judah and you had the kingdom of Israel the house of Israel and the house of Judah the house of Judah was taken over first because they they weren't keeping the Sabbath correctly. They didn't assemble. They didn't do a lot of things they were supposed to. Do. And and also the the kingdom of Judah did the same thing. And then again in verse seventeen, and all the congregation of them that were coming out of captivity made booths and sat under the booths since the days of of Joshua the son of Nun. It says, for since the days of Joshua, for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until this day, had not the children of Israel done so. That's a long time. <laughs> so, yeah, if you read, the, I just got through reading the, studying the book of Judges. If you read the book of Judges, that whole book, the whole theme of that book is if you don't have leadership, the people will do whatever they want to do. So there always has to be leadership. Um, if you don't have people that are by their example, teaching you by their example, and, of course, teaching you verbally and then doing it, then there's going to be chaos and and, uh, there's going to be um, anarchy. It's going to be uh, people rebelling and not doing what they're supposed to do. So you have to have leadership. You have to have leadership. Okay, so this is the, the beautiful picture of Sukkot. And let's go a little deeper into what this day represents, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, It represents world peace being implemented. Yom Kippur begins the process of the separation of the goats from the sheep. However, the Festival of Tabernacles represents all the laws of God being implemented upon the earth that will bring world peace. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Consular, the Mighty God. I already revealed to you that he is the Word of God. In Revelation chapter 19, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's going to be a father because he's going to marry his wife, the bride, and we're going to produce spiritual children. That's another Bible study. The prince of peace, verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. From henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is a beautiful picture of the 1,000-year rule of the Messiah. That's what the Festival of Tabernacles reveals, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. That's what it's all about. God is going to tabernacle a sukkah with us. And he wants us to tabernacle with him. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter thirty one, starting at verse thirty one. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new or a renewed covenant with the house of Israel, a fresh covenant, meaning that it wasn't fresh and now it's going to be fresh with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, so he's going to literally spiritually put the law in your mind, in your inward parts, and write it in your hearts, and will be their God, and that's he's going to do that through the Holy Spirit, and they shall be my people. And see, when this happens, you're not going to have me teaching you like this anymore. They, they, they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, like I'm doing, or trying to do anyway. And every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them and to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Again, that's a picture of Yon again. So... Says, Thus says the Lord, which giveth the sun for light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. So anyway, he, he talks about the fact that this is going to happen. And this is a picture of the Feast of Tabernacles, ladies and gentlemen, Isaiah chapter sixty five. I'm trying to simplify this as best as I can. Isaiah chapter 65, verse, um, verse 17, verse 17. For behold, I create a renewed or new heavens or fresh heavens and a fresh earth, and the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. Verse 18, but be ye glad and rejoice forever in which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, a rejoicing in her people, a joy, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be more; the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more hence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. So it's going to be sin during the 1,000-year return of Yeshua, which the Festival of Tabernacles represents. However, um, sin is not going to be allowed to, to, to go on and on and on. Just like if someone kills someone today, they are put in jail and kept in jail for a long time before they're executed. Well, that that's not going to happen in, in God's kingdom. Though. They're going to be executed immediately. <laughs> um, but... A hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be a curse. Verse 21, and they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. Uh, They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and my elect shall enjoy the work of their hands. So they're going to have great longevity. That's the way it was supposed to be during the days of... um, Adam, Adam lived almost to be a thousand years. Uh, this is going to be a thousand year millennium, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if people were able to live um, quite a few years because of the earth being transformed into a Garden of Eden as it was in the beginning. And in verse twenty three, they shall not labor in vain, like many people are laboring in vain in oppressive jobs today. Nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And verse 24, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Verse 15, this is a p- t- picture of the millennium. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and thus shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy, in all my holy mountain, says the Eternal. So that's a great picture of what this world will look like in the future. That's what the Festival of Tabernacles pictures. And then Isaiah chapter 11. It talks about the Messiah. And in verse 4, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove, or correct with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked Isaiah 11 verse 4 and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins and verse 6 the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them and the cow and the bear shall feed and their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the sucking, sucking child shall play on his hold of the asp, And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice. Then, or the viper, the snake. <laughs> for for a child to be playing with a snake, you know it must be peace on the earth. Verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 11. They shall not hurt nor destroy all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full. And it, it certainly isn't right now. But the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. And the reason why... This is a good scripture to understand we don't have peace because if we did, then um, all these things I'm describing to you would occur. They shall not hurt nor destroy all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge. They're hurting people in, in Jews, and people are uh, hurt in the land of Israel. You have uh, occasional suicide bombs, and you, you have other things going on there, although that hasn't happened lately. And the reason why there won't be any destruction is because the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The reason why there's destruction the destruction on the earth and the sin on the earth today is because the the earth is not full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And it says, And in that day shall there be a root of Jesse, which is the Messiah, which shall stand for an ensign, or a, a token, a banner, a sign of the people, to it shall be the, uh, to it shall the Gentiles seek; those are the people that are outside of uh, Israel. Um, and then, by the way, if you don't know who Israel is, or if you're assuming that Israel is just the Jews, go to www.britam.org www.britam, and be enlightened. And his rest shall be glorious, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set His hand again the second time. To recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Isaiah, which is in the area of the Middle East, and from Egypt, from Pathros and from Cush, uh, Ethiopia, and from Elam, and from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. The islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the to dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy of jealousy of also of Ephraim. Ephraim is the ten tribes of Israel, which the United States is certainly a part of, shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah, or the Jews, shall be cut off, and Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But this is awesome. This is awesome, what he's describing here. And it's going to be a wonderful world tomorrow, as Mr. Armstrong stated. It's going to be peace on this earth, finally, and people will get along. Rodney King's prophecy will be fulfilled. Can't we all get along? Yes, we will all get along. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. The reason why we're all going to get along is because we're all going to be obeying the law. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. The word, or the Torah, that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days, the days before the coming of the Messiah, that the mountain of the Lord's house, Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, There will be a temple built on that in the future. Shall be established in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. Verse 3, And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the temple mount, to the house of the God of Jacob, and and he will teach us of his ways. Please go to www.templeinstitute.org www.templeinstitute.org To see this prophecy being fulfilled right before your eyes. They are planning to build the temple. They are already training priests. So that they can recover the Ark of the Covenant. Which is below uh, or under the Temple Mount or around that area. Verse 3. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. This is what that statue represents in front of the UN. Beating swords into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. They will be used for agriculture instead of killing people. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Look forward to that. And you should be looking forward to that too. In Zechariah, chapter 14, which pictures the return of Jesus Christ to this earth, to rule it with peace and justice. Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 13. Verse 16, rather. Zechariah 14, verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the king of hosts, and the keys to the feast of tabernacles. So this day pictures all the nations being at peace. And it shall be, whoso whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth into Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt, which pictures, of course, people in the world, go not up, and come not that have no rain. There shall be the plague, where if the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. Verse nineteen. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not. So Egypt was linked with all the nations, and the punishment of all the nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. So. To say that the law's done away with and we shouldn't be keeping the commandments, well, why is the Lord telling us this? So anyway, in 1 John, I'm sorry, John, First chapter of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 14. And the Word was made flesh, and He dwelt among us. All right? And, and the fact that Yeshua, or Jesus, came to the earth, symbolizes the fact that he and the Father wants to dwell with mankind. He wants a tabernacle of dwelt. Hebraically means tabernacle, to reside, a symbol of protection. That's what Yeshua coming to the earth and sacrificing his life for all of mankind represents as well. So we must understand that, what this day represents. is is su- su- Sukkot. Uh, the Festival of tabernacles is a is a great way to start understanding understanding the truth of God Luke chapter eleven verse thirty one The queen of the South shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it for they repent. They repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So this picture the great white throne judgment, which occurs after the 1,000 years. So Sukkot is also about that as well. And many people think that the great white throne judgment is a judgment of damnation, but it is not. It's a judgment, as I stated here. Why is the, the queen of the south rising up and condemning the people of his generation, Yeshua's generation that he lived in? And Nineveh as well. Obviously, these people are going to be given an opportunity to live. That's only common sense, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received a mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years verse 5 but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished this is the first resurrection which occurs at the seventh trump according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on such blessed and holy is in verse 6, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, which occurs at the seventh trump. On, on such, the second death hath no power. The seventh trump or the last trump is, uh, is described in Revelation chapter 11. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So what this is describing is what has already occurred, the first resurrection. Verse 7, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog. So we want a definition of Gog and Magog. The Bible's definition of Gog and Magog is all the nations of the four quarters of the earth. To gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Verse 9. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them all. So God was just tired of the rebellion, and he just wiped them out. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone with a beast and a false prophet and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that really means that forever and ever means the ages of ages. But when you read the rest of the chapter, death and Hades will be thrown, the realm of the dead will be thrown in the lake of fire and will be destroyed. And so there will be no more suffering, pain on the earth or in the universe. Revelation 20 verse 11. And I saw a great white throne judgment in him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was, found no place for them. And verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of it, those things which were written in the books. According to their works, this is um, one of the basic doctrines of God, the eternal judgment. And that judgment will involve all people who have ever lived on this earth. And aborted babies and and, and, and uh, the Ninevites, the Queen of Sheba, uh, even Sodom and Gomorrah, all will be given an opportunity to understand the Word of God. Because Acts chapter 17, verse 31, plainly states this. Acts 17, verse 31 states that because he has appointed a day in which, oh, Acts 17, verse 30, and the times of ignorance God winked at. He winked at, he winked at, not inked at, he winked at the, the the ignorance of mankind prior to the coming of the Messiah. But now commands all men everywhere to repent for those who he calls. All right, but the ultimate calling will happen at the great judgment where everyone, all of mankind, will be called to understand his truth. This is something that... that A lot of people don't understand that the great white throne judgment is not a judgment of damnation. So anyway, that's what the Festival of Tabernacles represents, ladies and gentlemen. John 7, verse 37 to 39, Um, he's asking people to come, which pictures the great white throne judgment. John 7, verse 37 to 39. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, if any man thirst, And so that that's a future prophecy, because right now he's not calling ev- anyone, everyone. He's called calling a select few, but during the great right throne judgment, everyone's going to be called. Actually, beginning of the millennium, for those human beings on the earth, everyone's going to be called to understand his truth, ladies and gentlemen. So... Uh, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. And this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Yeshua was not yet glorified. So that's what this pictures, ladies and gentlemen, the great right throne judgment. People will be judged, and they will receive the Holy Spirit. And they will learn how to live the true way of life. So on that, God willing, I'll be available to you next week. May God bless and keep you. And yehovah willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold... The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.